Well, good morning, church. We will be in, in Acts chapter 2 uh, again today. The, the story's told of a, of a church that called a new pastor. And uh, on his first Sunday, uh, the church came together in eager anticipation to hear their, their new pastor's uh, first sermon. And uh, walking away after the service that day, they were all just really encouraged uh, by what they heard, really blown away by what a wonderful message God had given uh, their new pastor. And, and uh, they all went away just talking about how wonderful it was. A week two, they came together again to hear uh, their pastor for the second time. And the pastor pulled out the same message again and preached the same sermon on week two. And a couple of the deacons kind of scratched their heads and thought, well, that's a little odd, but, you know, maybe it's just something he does. We're not really sure exactly what's going on. They didn't say anything to him. Well, week three rolled around and the pastor preached the same sermon again for the third time. And the chairman of deacons went to him and said, all right, pastor, you know, we, we know you're new here, but we're just a little bit confused. You've now preached to us the same sermon three weeks in a row. What, what's the deal? And the pastor said, well, I figure when you guys start practicing what I'm preaching, then I'll preach something else. Now, you may think that that's what I'm doing, that we're preaching Acts 2, 42 to 47 for the first, uh, at least the first three or four uh, Sundays of this year. Uh, that's not my intention. There's just so much, there's so much treasure in these six verses that I felt like it was important for us to spend a little longer time. I've never preached the same passage three Sundays in a row. This is a new uh, thing for me as well. But there are so many treasures here as we look at the beginnings of the church and just the the, the, the basic foundation for the church, not just uh, what the church is, but what the church does when we come together as the redeemed people of God. And and again, there's so much talk in these days about what's essential and what's non-essential. And, and even among church leaders, what are the things that, that we must do and what are the things that we can do? And, and how do we un- work through these times of, of pandemic and, and unrest and all the division that's occurring in our culture right now? Uh, but what, what we do is we run to the Word of God and we find sound instruction for our lives and for our church. So we run back to the very beginnings of the church in Acts chapter 2, immediately after Peter preaches that first great gospel sermon in three thousand people are added to that church that began at 100 to 150 people has now exploded to 3,000 plus. And we look at what did they do in those stressful and yet exciting times. And I would say to us, we live in stressful and yet exciting times. Because we know that God is doing something mighty in our day. Let's not lose sight of that church. That God is doing something in our day 
that we may not fully understand, we may not fully comprehend, we may not be able to put all the pieces together in a recognizable puzzle, but we do understand our God is at work. These things are not happening outside of the umbrella of His sovereignty, and God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so in that we can rejoice. But I said last week, and I say again, I think as we come to the beginning of 2021, it's important for us to consider what it would look like for us to press the reset button. Perhaps 2020 has reminded us all of the chaos and all the challenges of 2020 have reminded us that there are times in life when we need a hard reset, when we need to get back to the default of what it means to be the people of God. And that's what Acts 2 brings us back to. And so I want to remind us again this morning uh, of the mission statement that we adopted several years ago that just uh, reminds us what it means to be the church and what we must do as God's people. And so let's just read this together if we could out loud. Let's read our mission statement this morning and then we're going to we're going to look at the second portion of the mission statement today as we go through Acts 2 again. Let's read this together. We exist to glorify God by making disciples who gather together to worship Christ, grow together in the word of Christ, and go together as witnesses for Christ. What we're saying is, this is what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, the redeemed people of God, rescued by His blood, poured out at the cross. These are the essentials for the church. These are the things, not just that we could do or might do or can do, these are the things that we must do. We must gather together to worship Christ. We must grow together in the word of Christ. And we must go together as witnesses for Christ. And today we're going to look at that central portion, the the issue of growing together in the word of Christ. And I want to say, as I've said before, I know I've mentioned this before, but I I do believe that, that we have found ourselves in the American Christian culture in a place in which growth in Christ is considered as optional for the Christian life. And so we've put forward a version of Christianity oftentimes in our culture that demonstrates that there are some who grow in their relationship with Christ and go deeper in the word of Christ and grow in their love for God and for others. And there are others who simply make a profession of faith and then remain largely unchanged in the way they live out their lives from there on. And what I want to say to us is this. When we find that kind of two-tiered Christianity in the Word of God, then we can affirm it. But I want to say to us, I am sorely convinced today that we will not find that version of Christianity in the Scriptures Because every evidence in the Word of God points to this reality. That those who know Jesus Christ are radically transformed by their relationship with Him. 
So growth in Christ is not in any way optional equipment in the Christian life. It is a necessity, as I pray we're going to see as we walk through these verses again today. And so what I want us to look at today, this as we talk about growing in the Word of Christ, is I want us to look at three tools that God has given to us to enable our growth. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I want you to see God has given us these three tools that are found right here in the beginning of the church in Acts 2, 42 to 47. I want you to see three tools that God has given us, three resources for our growth. And they bring us back once again to this default position, to this reset, to this fresh start that we're longing for. The first of these. Reminds us that we grow together through the teaching of the scriptures. And I know I mentioned this last week, but I want to mention it again because it's so crucial. Look at the beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves. Again, imagine the scene here. 150 church members just turned into 3,150 and God kept adding to their number daily those who were being saved. The church was ballooning like crazy and yet priority number one. Don't miss this. This is so huge. If we miss this, the rest of it makes no difference. Priority number one for them as the church was ballooning and growing was not to put in place structures and programs to meet the needs of those who came together. Priority number one for the church is found in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And again, like I said last week, what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the word of God. They were not teaching their opinions. They were not teaching their politics. They were not teaching your best life now or ten ways to have a great marriage this week. They were teaching the word of God. They were not sharing stories. They were sharing Scripture. They were coming together recognizing that if the Word of God was not the priority for the people of God, then it wouldn't matter how many people came together on Sunday morning, whether there were 3,000 or 3. If the Word of God wasn't at the center, then God wasn't going to bless their effort. And so we remind ourselves that the teaching of the Scriptures is essential. And that's why I'm so glad that that among our elder body, as we've wrestled through this pandemic again and again, our heart's cry has been we want to be able to get back to the kinds of of places and times and, and opportunities for folks to sit under the teaching of God's word. And yes, here on Sunday morning is important. I don't want to diminish this in any way, but I want to say this is not sufficient in and of itself. For us to grow well in the Word of God. I also want to say this. Our private devotions and study time are not sufficient for us to grow well in the Word of God. Again, there's an American version of Christianity that says, All I need is my Jesus and my Bible. And I want to say to us, that's not biblical Christianity. 
That's an Americanized version of Christianity that is so individualistic and yet it misses the clear teaching of Scripture which describes regularly the togetherness of God's people. We're going to talk more about that before we finish this morning. But, but again, what were they coming together to do? The Word of God was at the very core of their gatherings and I pray that that's true as well. But again, not just the main worship gathering but also they were gathering in small groups. Look at verse 46 in verse 46 it says that they day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes now it doesn't show here in the esv as well as it does in a couple of other translations but if you look at the original greek language here in verse 46 you'll find the exact same verb as you find in verse 42 When it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, and to the fellowship, in verse 42, that same Greek verb is found in verse 46 when it says that they day by day were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Now, you say, Pastor, what's your point? My point is this. They were just as devoted to the word of God, prayer, breaking of bread and fellowship as they were to these gatherings, gathering in the temple in large groups, but gathering in their homes in small groups. And so we see the church gathering in large groups and in small groups. And what are they gathering together to do? They're gathering together for the teaching of God's word. They're gathering together For the teaching of God's word. Yes, sharing meals together. Yes, worshiping the Lord together. But at the center of all of that was the holy word of God. Church, we must never take this for granted. That God has imparted to us his holy word. This is the treasure that leads us to truth and growth in Christ. Tony Marita said so well, if you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, you will be drawn to the Bible. I wish I could underline that, highlight it, and make it 3,900 font. You will be drawn to the Bible if you're walking in the Spirit. All true spiritual awakenings. If you're praying for spiritual awakening these days, and I pray that you are, if you're praying for spiritual awakening, remind yourself of this. All true spiritual awakenings involve healthy teachings from the Scripture. Look back over the revivals over the last 2,000 years, and what you find is always this. Revival is tied to the revelation of God. His Word is at the center. It's always the case. In Josiah's day, that revival was led by the renewal in God's Word, the discovery of God's Word there in the temple. In Nehemiah's day, that revival was led by when Ezra stood before the people and for eight hours he simply read the Word of God and they soaked it in and they were overjoyed by what they heard. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter preaches at Pentecost and lays forth the word of God for them, revival broke out. Revival is always, always, always tied to the word of God and the movement of God's spirit. So we see the teaching of scripture. We also remind ourselves 
that these folks in the midst of the teaching of Scripture, they were not just hearers, they were doers of the Word. James 1 cautions us not to deceive ourselves. Part of the deception lies in thinking that, well, just because I attend Bible study, I'm good to go. Or just because I show up for Sunday school or, or I made it to church this Sunday or I did my daily devotionals, that that's, that's all that's necessary for faithfulness to the Lord. But we remind ourselves that this word was given not just uh, to stimulate us intellectually, but to change our hearts and then to exert itself upon our wills. It, it, it's as many have said, it's head, heart and hands. As we think about the Word of God, that it, that it impacts our mind, our thinking, and that's where it begins, but then it also transforms our heart, our affections, our devotions, our loves, and then that automatically begins to demonstrate it in the way that we live out our lives, in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we respond to the stresses of the day. In the way that we make decisions at the polls. In the way that we live life. It, it is founded upon what God is doing in our lives through the teaching of His Word. So we as well desire not just to be hearers of the Word, but to become doers of the Word. And so here's a challenge I would give to you as you read the Scriptures this year. That day by day you would ask the Father. Father, what would you have me to do as a result of what I've read today? That is the most simple of prayers. And yet I have found that in the times when I've been faithful to ask God. God, what would you have me to do as a result of what I've read in your word today? Sometimes God's response is. Just be still and know that I'm God. You know, this week, where for the first time we, we really kind of come face to face with the reality of, of cases in our congregation that began to affect the way that we're able to do ministry. And even this morning, uh, just seeing many more empty seats this morning as a result of those things. And I know the one call scared everybody off. I, I, I get all that. But, am I, but as I'm sitting in the midst of this, I'm reminded... God is still in control in the midst of these days. He is not shaken by what so often shakes us. He, he is not uh, affected in such a way that his course of action is changed. He is steadfast and he is faithful and he is the rock on which we stand. And in the midst of that, we remind ourselves that he has called us to some particular things. And so Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Can we say that the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, deeply, thoroughly? That this is the word that defines our very lives. If so, then we'll be following through with the rest of that verse. Then we'll be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Where does all wisdom come from? From the Word of God. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Those are the kinds of songs that are found from the Word of God. And we'll do this with thankfulness in our hearts to God. As I've said so many times, thankfulness, gratitude is such a great evidence of the work of God in our lives. 
God's people are to be a thankful people. Especially in the midst of the current sufferings. We have much to be thankful for. God's word reminds us of that. So we grow together. This is not optional. We grow together necessarily through the teaching of the scriptures. We also, in the second point this morning, we grow together through the prayers of the saints. We grow together through praying for and with one another. And and again, prayer cannot be secondary to the mission of the church. Prayer cannot be something that we just seclude to some corner or section of our lives, especially our gathered lives as the people of God. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. There's something so crucial to prayer and and the coming alongside the word of God, the word of God and prayer are these twin pillars of the Christian life. And I would say twin pillars for the church that support and uphold us in such a way that we're able to accomplish the work God has given us to do. So how did the early church pray and what can we learn from it? Well, I want to take you over for just a moment. A couple of chapters to Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter 4, we begin to see the outbreak of persecution against the church. The church is growing like crazy. Day by day, people are being added to their number. And the popular people of the day, the political and religious leaders of their day, were starting to get uncomfortable. And they began to lash out against the church. And we begin to see in Acts chapter 4 the persecution that breaks out. And we also see at the, here in the middle of chapter, of chapter 4, we see God's people responding to the difficulties of their day and their response is prayer. Is that our response? In the difficulties of our day, is our first response prayer? Or is that the last place that we run? And when we look at Acts chapter 4, and we begin to see a couple of things that were priorities on their prayer list. And I so want to see us come to a place where these become our prayer list priorities. Yes, we need to be praying for the sick in our day. Yes, we need to be praying for a variety of things that are going on in our culture. But I pray that these two things would rise to the top of our prayer list in this day. First of all, well, they prayed this. They prayed for the believers to be bold. They prayed for the church to be courageous. They prayed that in the midst of mounting difficulties, there would not be a shrinking back, but that there would be a pressing forward to the glory of God. And church, I want to say this to us. This is not a time for shrinking back. This is not a time for hiding out. This is a time for pressing forward to the glory of God. Now that may look a little different in various lives, but we remind ourselves as Paul reminded his young protege Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. 
And so while things may seem out of control, we remind ourselves that God is in control and that He has given to us by His grace some things in which we are to exercise dominion. Let's look at their prayer, Acts chapter 4. Here's how they prayed right in the midst of that prayer gathering together. They prayed, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon the persecution. Look upon the sufferings we're enduring. Look upon all that's happening right now and give us safety, right? No. They look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That's what's needed in the church today. God, grant your servants Grace us with the ability to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you, God, stretch out your hand to heal. And I want to say this. I don't believe that reference to healing there is just about physical sickness. Now we see an example of healing that took place in the beginning of Acts chapter 4. But I think in the broader context, as you look at what was happening in the church, this was not just about physical healing or protection from disease. This was about spiritual renewal, the rescue of lost sinners. He says, stretch out your hand, God, and bring the healing that will abide forever. And while signs and wonders are being performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This was the way that they prayed. They prayed, first of all, for the believers to be bold, for the church to be courageous. And then they prayed, I believe, the reference there is them praying for sinners to be saved. They prayed that God would continue rescuing rebellious sinners by His righteous right hand through the blood of His Son poured out at the cross. They prayed that God would continue the work that He began at Pentecost to continue adding to their number. They prayed this not so they could have a bigger church. They prayed this not so they could have more butts in the seat and more bucks in the offering plates. They prayed this so that the glory of God could be put on display in their day in such a way that the nations would take notice and that the nations would be glad and come to the understanding that Jesus of Nazareth is the King of glory. They prayed this way because they believed that their God was greater than their troubles and their persecution. And so we must pray. We must pray with power. We must also pray with great humility. We must pray with great humility, recognizing that the travails of the present hour are without a doubt tied to the unfaithfulness of God's people in days past. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because it's always been that way. From the very beginning, why does sin and death enter into the world? It's not because God was unfaithful. It's because His people were. 
Throughout the history of Israel, why did plagues and persecutions and exiles come to God's people? It was not because God was unfaithful, but because His people were. And throughout the history of the world, let us understand again and again that when we look at various trials and tribulations and persecutions and problems and pandemics and all the things that we're encountering in these days, let us be reminded that these are intricately tied to the reality that at least to a certain extent, God's people have been unfaithful to what God has given us to do. These things call us to repentance. These things call us to James 5.16, which says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And again, healing here is not just physical healing, folks. Even in James chapter 5, he's not just talking about physical healing. He's talking about spiritual renewal. That you may be healed. Why? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do we see the power of God in prayer? Do we see the hand of God? If we would desire to see the end of this pandemic, then let us devote ourselves to prayer. And trust God to accomplish the fullness of His purposes through these problems. Thirdly, this morning, we necessarily grow together through the teaching of the scriptures, through the prayers of the saints. And finally, we grow together through the fellowship of the steadfast. Again, it begins right there in verse 42. It begins with this acknowledgement that they devoted themselves from the very beginning to the apostles teaching the breaking of bread, to the prayers, but also notice the second thing, to the fellowship. Now this word here, fellowship, it's the Greek word koinonia. And the idea behind koinonia is a a commonality or a a commonness. In fact, the, the, the New Testament was written in what was called Koine Greek, which was 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 considered common Greek, like uh, the Greek of the common man, not the Greek of of the Athenian philosophers, but the Greek of the the common man, the common people. It's kind of like the difference between Oxford English and Breckenridge County English. If you don't know that difference, good for you. But there, there's definitely a difference. Proper English and what we speak. That's kind of where, and I love the fact that God didn't choose the Greek of Athens in which to put his word. He put it in the language of the common man. By the way, that's why I think modern translations are so helpful and essential for us. It needs to be in a language that we understand. The King James Version was wonderful for its time, but but a lot of it we can't understand in our day. So we go to a more modern translation that we, the most important thing is that we would understand the Word of God. That we would understand what God has said to us. And so God put His His Word in the language of the common people so that there could be understanding. 
But this idea of fellowship, this idea of commonality or commonness that we share with one another. And I know how we use this word. When we think about fellowship in the church, we just think about get-togethers. And we think about potlucks. And we think about punching cookies after a, an event. We, we, we think about various things along those lines. And, and those are elements of fellowship. But this idea of koinonia is so much greater and so much larger and so much more essential for us to understand the true nature of the church. And this is a part of what God used, one of those tools, one of those treasures that God used to grow His church. He used His Word. He used prayer. And He used koinonia. He used fellowship. Their commonality with one another. And I want you to see, as we finish this morning, how this fellowship was demonstrated in two particular things that emerged in the life of the early church that continue to need to emerge in the church today that need to be forefront in our understanding of what it means to be the church and to do what God has called us to do. And so we grow through the fellowship of those who are steadfast in their coming together. And it's demonstrated in two things. First of all, our commonality, our fellowship is demonstrated in generosity. And this is huge. It's not just huge for the early church. It's huge for the church today. Their, their commonality, their fellowship was demonstrated in their giving to one another. And so they were, look at verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, don't misunderstand here. This is not biblical communism. This is not some socialist regime as we're worried about in our country. They were willingly, not under compulsion, they were willingly giving of what they possessed for the good of their brothers and sisters. And so we see Barnabas in chapter 5 selling a piece of property to provide for those in the congregation who didn't have enough to live on. And we also see the judgment that fell upon Ananias and Sapphira as they pretended to do what Barnabas had done, but instead deceitfully kept back some of the money for themselves. Their heart condition was at issue. That's always what's at issue with our giving. But again, their commonality, their fellowship was demonstrated in their generosity to one another. And they're providing for one another's needs. So much so that in the end of chapter 5, as you see God continuing to add to their number. Sorry, it's at the end of chapter 6. As you begin to see God continuing to add to their number at the end of of Acts chapter 6. What you see is it says, and a great many of the Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. They came to be believers in Jesus. Why? Because they saw how the church was providing for the needy, in particular, the widows, who in that culture were the lowest of the low on the socioeconomic scale. As the Jewish priests saw how the poor widows were being provided for, they saw the power of God at work in the church. As the community began to see how the church was taking in orphans, the power of God was demonstrated in the church. But notice something, this koinonia, this commonality that was taking place among the people was always taking place in the midst of their togetherness. 
And so I want to say something to us, church, and, and I want to be as gentle as I can, but it's just such a biblical thing for us to understand this. There is no virtual koinonia. Just can't be. I know all the obstacles we have right now, they've been more visible to me this week than any other week past. But let us not misunderstand this koinonia that He has called us to be devoted to, to give ourselves over to, not just one time, but day by day, a a continual commonality emerging in the people of God as we come together regularly. This just can't happen if we're not together. And it is essential. If you were to walk through these verses, you're going to find the word together again and again. And I know in days past, it's been so easy for us to take that for granted. I pray that we won't take it for granted. I pray that koinonia, this commonality, this togetherness, this fellowship would be so such a treasure to us that we would not trade it for anything in this world. It's a gift of God. But again, I think Kent Hughes says it well. Fellowship costs something in the early church. What does it take for us? What does it cost us to have fellowship today? Well, I got to get up a little earlier. I got to endure the issues at home that inevitably happen on Sunday morning. They don't happen any other time of the week. I might have to see that person at church that kind of gets on my nerves a little bit or a lot. There's risk in fellowship. Fellowship costs something in the early church. Fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness. Fellowship comes through giving, through sacrifice. True fellowship is costly. But let me say this to us, church. The investment, the investment in koinonia will bear eternal dividends that no pandemic can steal away. What God has given us in the fellowship of the church is something that will last for eternity. We are storing up treasures in heaven through our fellowship with one another. I'm trying to raise this koinonia to the level on which the Bible puts it. Let's get beyond cookies and punch and fellowship meals. Let's get to the place where we recognize our oneness, our togetherness is at the very core of who we are as the people of God. Our commonality is demonstrated in generosity. And finally this morning, our commonality is demonstrated in hospitality. It's ironic that last year as we were entering into the pandemic in March, I had every intention mid-March of last year to start a six-week series leading up to Easter on biblical hospitality. God has a great sense of humor. God has a wonderfully great sense of humor and a wonderful way of humbling this pastor on a regular basis. You know, I'm getting ready to preach a six-week series on hospitality, welcoming others into your home when that has become a veritable impossibility. 
So I'm still hoping to get to that six-week series on hospitality. You pray that uh, August, September of this year we'll be able to dive into that because I do think this is an underappreciated jewel in the Scriptures. This is a, a gift, a tool God has given us for our fellowship and also for our evangelism. I'm going to have to, uh, time to get into it this morning. But, but hospitality is one of those often neglected gifts of God in our culture that is powerful in the life of the church. And so again, they were coming together in their homes. They were sharing meals together. They were worshiping together. They were getting into God's word together. They were sharing the Lord's Supper together. They were doing these things together, not just at the temple in large groups, but in their homes and small groups. They were together. Togetherness was essential for them as it is for us. And their fellowship was demonstrated in these things. And so let me leave you with this this morning. First Peter 4. Instructions for the church, Peter writes, above all, top shelf, highest priority, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Keep on loving one another. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. And in the sense there is, keep showing hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, I know in these days, that seems like a command we can't fulfill. But I would say to us, there are still opportunities for biblical hospitality, even in the midst of this pandemic. Let's look to them and be obedient to what God has given us to do. And then as each person has received a gift, and we all have, it's very clear. There's not just some that are gifted and some that aren't any more than there are some who grow in Christ and some who don't. We've all been received. We've received gifts from God. We talked about some of them this morning. We have the gift of his scriptures. We have the gift of prayer. We have the gift of this fellowship and many other gifts as well. But as each has received a gift, what do we do? We use it to serve one another. We use it to give to one another, to grace one another, to spend time with one another. Why? As good stewards of God's varied grace and so he has given us these treasures he has given us these tools he has given us these opportunities and perhaps again here at the beginning of 2021 we might consider as we finish this morning what it would look like for us to hit the reset button just three quick thoughts and we'll finish today first of all Three questions. First one, to what extent are you devoted to the truth of God's word? To studying it and to practicing it. And let me be clear. I do not want you to walk away today with a good guilting. That, that never serves anything whatsoever. I'm really just asking you, would you see God's word for the treasure that it is? And if your heart is not stirred in these days with devotion to the word of God, would you ask him to stir your heart to see this great treasure? And to love him more through the study and practice of his word. Secondly, to what extent are you devoted to prayer? Specifically, as we said earlier, but these two main prayer requests, specifically praying for the lost and praying for the church. 
We can pray for all kinds of things, and we should. I'm not trying to limit your prayer list. I just want these things to be added to and perhaps on the top line. Praying for the lost and praying for the church. And again, I know what we do. I know what we do. We go, well, uh, my prayer life isn't what it should be. Probably every one of us in this room would say that. And, and, And yet I want to say it's not about a good guilting here. It's God. Stir our hearts toward prayer. That we might love you more and love one another better through our prayer lives. And finally, to what extent are you devoted to true fellowship with God's people? The kind that demonstrates itself in generosity and hospitality. And again, I know the obstacles. I felt them in my own life this week. I would say to us, be reminded that our God is greater than the present obstacles. And He is making a way for our generosity and our hospitality to impact the church and the culture around us in the same way that He did in the early church. You don't think they had obstacles? We're not two chapters from seeing their leaders being thrown in jail for the proclamation of the gospel. We've not yet reached that point. I pray we'd be faithful when it comes. But I would say to us, God is providing opportunities for us to engage in this koinonia, this biblical fellowship. Maybe our prayer this morning needs to be, God, open my eyes to see. Open my eyes to see the needs around me in my own church body and in my community that my generosity might be a tool for your glory and for the good of my brothers and sisters. Open my eyes to see the opportunity to engage in biblical hospitality and welcoming others in. It may not be to your home. It may be an act of hospitality that's extending a phone call to someone you haven't seen in a while. Shooting a text message to someone that you've not been around recently. But I would also say by the grace of God, there is a reality where this fellowship, this hospitality, and this generosity are fueled in the context of our togetherness. Once again, church, I'll leave you with this thought. There are some things that God has called us to be and to do as His church That cannot happen at a social distance. That cannot happen in a quarantined culture. And the things that I'm talking about are not non-essentials that we can jettison when it becomes difficult. They are things that we must treasure because we treasure the God who has given us these tools and these treasures. Let's pray together. Father, help us to consider your word this morning. You have given us these great gifts, these tremendous treasures of your word, of prayer, of our fellowship. And Father, we confess this morning that we have so often neglected these things. We have so often taken for granted our togetherness. And now in this time when our togetherness has been ruptured. 
We're reminded of the treasure. In this time when our fellowship has faltered, we are reminded of Your faithfulness. So Father, I pray today as we close this service that You would not allow us to be a people that are led by fear. Nor, Father, would You allow us to be a people who are led by folly. But that You would cause us to be a people who walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to see the unseen realities that You are holy God have made a way for rebellious sinners to be redeemed and brought to You through the blood of Your Son poured out at the cross. Through His substitutionary death and through His resurrection life, we have been given this great treasure in these earthen vessels to show that this immense divine power is Yours and not ours. That the surpassing greatness belongs to You and not to us. So help us to love Your Word. To be devoted to prayer to treasure our fellowship. To Your glory and for the furtherance of Your gospel. This we pray in Jesus' name.